Good morning, Redeemer. Today's passage is about Jesus leaving his earthly ministry. He's ed- exiting stage, not left or right, but exiting stage up, if you will. And it's called the Ascension. It is also about waiting and anticipation until something happens. Longing, hoping, mixed with confusion and awe and absence. It's about waiting and being without what we thought, without what we thought we needed. It is, of course, not much more complicated than that. And over the years, I've realized, I've come to, to believe that trying to follow Jesus and in trying to follow Jesus, waiting seems like an essential skill to develop or a muscle to strengthen or a virtue to cultivate, or maybe it's just a gift to receive or some combination of all those things. Either way, either way waiting is not an option when it comes to living faithfully to Jesus in this world. I got an awesome clip from Stormy Webster uh, that Amanda sent me the other day as we were talking about waiting. So here it is. I'm going to put the chocolates right here, okay? Okay. I'm going to give you three of them, but wait. You have to wait till mommy comes back, okay? I have to go to the bathroom. Patience, 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 Hey! Ah! Woo! Did you win? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you can have three. This clip is actually a mini non-scientific version of a marshmallow test that was done by Stanford in the 70s. I think I've told you about it before. A researcher's in a room and he has to leave the room but puts one marshmallow on the table and they tell the four-year-old child that if they wait till he returns, you get to have two marshmallows. In the original test, about a third of the kids chose to wait. And they followed these kids along and the kids ended up like, crazy things like higher SAT scores and other things that seem to be, uh, that make their lives better. And then 50 years later, or in the last 50 years, this experiment is now uh, with, has, um, has all sorts of uh, critiques and replications and ideas and, and confirmations, and, and they've been published all over the place. Because it's, a, it's about what we do and how we wait. It's about anticipation and motivation and self-control, which is a universal experience. Waiting, though, I believe, is the fundamental posture of the Christian life. In our passage, the disciples have been waiting for 40 plus days since Jesus was resurrected. He had been with them for that long. They just endured the crucifixion and the scattering and the fear. And this unbelievable news that comes from Mary of the proclamation of the resurrection. And there's hit and miss appearances around town but now he's back and things can finally get to normal and then he takes off literally like a balloon in a parking lot and they hadn't just been waiting for these 40 days but for 2,000 years before Jesus Israel had been waiting for the promise of Abraham 600 years or so later of David the king who was both incredibly awesome and so chock full of sin and self-interest that he became a murderer and a rapist even if a repentant one and so we wait or they waited another thousand years for great David's greater son and he finally comes he appears and so Israel has been waiting this long 
And if you count the exiles, there's 700 and 500 years in there. And then there's 33 years. And then there's three days. And now there's 40 days of waiting. It's been 48 days since the people have come into Jerusalem to pilgrimage to the holy city. And even after the resurrection, the posture of discipleship is waiting. One of the reasons I asked the elders if I could interrupt Romans and preach on the ascension was because of my own waiting and wanting and desire and wrestling therein. Today was supposed to be my last Sunday to preach before I was to go on sabbatical until September 1st. Springer and I were going to go serve in Spain at Surge Conference, and then Amanda and Carver were going to come in June and meet us in northern Italy, where we would be part of my, my mother's side of the family reunion. And then we'd rest and rejuvenate in the Dolomite Mountains and in Veneto, take trips down uh, further south into Rome and Florence. I don't even like to talk about it too much because I, I prefer denial as my favorite stage of grief. But add the fact that I've already delayed my sabbatical a year trying to win the grant that I didn't win, and, and add the fact that I was up for sabbatical in 2012 as I transitioned to Redeemer, and well, we've been waiting for a while, and sometimes with patience, and sometimes with deep peace, and sometimes with all other impatient ways to wait. But we're still waiting. I know this is a first world, middle-class type of waiting, so don't hear me wrong. The Hyatts are not victims of anything. Our pain and our waiting is real, but, there are the, but our hopes are, uh, have been adjusted, and that's what we're waiting around because of what God's done in his providence. Yet we wait, not knowing how God will provide, and in today's passage, we wait without a lack, with a lack of clarity, and yet we're still called to bear witness amid our waiting. We'll see. We'll see what happens next year in sabbatical there. I am replying for the grant. We'll see, but we won't see without waiting. And we won't see, we won't wait while we know the plan. We won't actually know, it, know the plan. It's just like it happens in our passage. This is fascinating to me. They're, they're waiting without a clear understanding of the plan. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. As you know, Jesus doesn't always feel like our questions need to be answered. And what this passage says, and what Jesus says here, is that sometimes it's not ours to know. Jesus might not even know. It's the Father's prerogative fixed by his own authority. And, and you've got to understand that disciples are jazzed up because he's back, right? They're full of hope and wonder and encouragement and excitement. The kingdom of God will, be, will, will bear out in some really beautiful ways. And Jesus says, hey, you don't know how the weather patterns work of the kingdom of God. Does this sound in any way familiar? Corona land? <laughs> Nobody knows how this is going to work. The Lindys and the Hyatt set up physically distanced uh, chairs in the sanctuary to give it a shot to see how it would work. And we thought uh, of all the ways that it could be configured, all sorts of alternative scenarios, placing them in all sorts of ways, and ultimately we said, we're just going to have to wait to see. But here's the kicker for them, for the disciples. After getting him back and having waited to get him back, he leaves and they have to wait again, wait without his physical presence. I don't want to be super obvious here, and I certainly don't want to be trite. But if the ascension is clear about anything, it is this. 
that Jesus' body is gone. Jesus has left the building, if you will. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. It was the balloon in the parking lot again. Jesus is gone. He is not gone for good and not gone without reinforcements. He sends his spirit in power. But our Lord Jesus is gone. And I know that this seems strange. But if you've been a Christian for a while, I can almost guarantee you that you've heard something like this. That you're supposed to feel close to Jesus all the time. And I want you to hear me. That's a sub-Christian myth or some uh, overstatement of the mystic spiritual life, or some misapplied form of Christian therapy. Of course, sometimes we experience incredible intimacy with the, resurrected, the spirit of the resurrected Christ. We hold on to those times tightly, but it is not always the case. In my teens, when I'd first become a Christian, a mentor told me, if I wasn't feeling close to Jesus, then ask yourself, who moved? It threw me into a perpetual loop of introspection and self-critique. I just wish somebody would have said, hey, there's some truth to that. But Jesus has ascended into heaven in his body and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So it's going to look a little different than you might think. So his presence of the Spirit doesn't mean you feel it all the time. It may exist, but he doesn't promise the experience of it. Sometimes he does. He leads by his spirit in intimate and beautiful ways. And sometimes he leads from afar with dispatches and communiques. He doesn't promise that you'll feel close to him. And if you don't believe me, read the Psalms or the Bible. Waiting is not always about receiving comfort or intimacy. Sometimes it's about struggling and churning and courage and tearing and trust and faith and trusting faithfulness of God and living in faithfulness when you don't feel him. So take a break from beating yourself up on this kind of stuff. When you don't know the plan and literally can't experience his presence, it's okay. It is actually the normal Christian life. His leaving is not an abandonment. It's actually for our good. And so we can whistle while we wait, but it's, it's okay to whistle the blue notes of exhaustion and desperation and concern. And yet the roots will grow deeper when it's dry. And it's okay to ache and want while you wait. And yet there's a real hope and a real promise in our waiting. <clears throat> we don't just wait without a clear plan or the physical presence of Jesus. We wait with stuff too, a purpose and a supernatural power. Purpose. This scene ends a little bit like Wendy and I were uh, uh, looking up, like it ends like all great movies end, celebrated heroes, a band of brothers or friends, a sun, sunset lovers, link arms looking into the beautiful future. While they're gazing into heaven, it says, but the disciples are a little bit more like the Griswolds when they turn on the Christmas tree because the scene is interrupted. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? The angels or prophets or whatever they saw give them kind of a swift kick in the pants. Stop standing around, y'all. There is stuff to do. He'll be back. Don't worry. 
Don't forget what he just said. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We have a purpose to bear witness, to bring forth the message and the kingdom of Jesus. And don't forget the word in Greek for witness is the same word for martyr. We bear witness while we wait, suffer while we wait, die well to Jesus for the sake of our neighbor while we wait. It is true that we need to have a purpose while we wait or the introspection gets us, makes us mad. Not angry mad, well, not just angry mad, crazy mad. I told you, I think this illustration before too, in the Houston airport, you used to get tons of complaints about baggage claim wait times. And they gave themselves to fixing this problem. They hired more baggage handlers. They reduced their bag delivery times to well below the average of eight minutes. The complaints persisted and more research. And they realized the problem was how long, not how long it took to get to baggage claim, uh, the, the luggage to baggage claim, but the people to baggage claim. It only took one minute. And then they waited for seven so instead of speeding up the process even more, they just redirected the passengers on a longer walk. And the complaints went away because their people, the people, were on a mission. They were doing something. They had a purpose while they were waiting. And if you've ever flown and know how much people lose their minds when they're about to get off a plane and trying to get home, you know the purpose that drives them. So Jesus tells us to bear witness to him and his resurrection. This purpose makes the weight bearable. I know these are times that try our souls waiting to open up and get back to whatever normal is going to be. But we don't do it while we're twiddling our fingers. We bear witness while we wait. We have a purpose of love of God and neighbor. So let's get after it. Let's set our mind on thinking about the next hundred years of multi-generational bearing witness to the mission of Jesus, to declaring his death and resurrection and ascension. What if our problem is not learning to be patient, but receiving our purpose? What if our dissatisfaction gates are just too big and our purpose meters are just too small? Early on in this COVID stuff, I heard about one of the youth saying, one of our youth saying, hey, heck, if I'm going to be cooped up and to have to wait to get a virus, I'd rather just go somewhere and help people and fight for what is good and lovely in the world. Because I'm not just going to sit here and wait around. I love this because he's like, hey, if we're just going to have to be cooped up and do stuff, this is terrible. I need a bigger purpose than this. this. Not just to protect myself but, but, uh, and wait for my own rescue, but, but to give myself to another. This is so profoundly Christian. You know what, who has perplexed the researchers on the marshmallow test every time? The first time and every time? When one of the little girls waited for the marshmallow... Not so that she could have two, but that she could save one for her little brother. Waiting for a purpose greater than ourselves changes everything. I have been convinced that, that some young people are leaving the church and older people leaving the church because we've set their sights too low, haven't given, given them an appetite that includes the beauty of the kingdom 
and the purposes of Jesus in the world. We're, we're teaching them to grab marshmallows too early. Uh, the purpose is just satisfaction, and it's not good enough. I want you to hold on after the sermon and our last song and right before the benediction because we have a special and, uh, announcement about one of our very own most beloved people in our church who is brace, embracing the fullness of purpose in their lives. Not just waiting for the clear plan to show up, but waiting with a purpose, pursuing the kingdom and how they're to participate in it. Y'all, the days of waiting can be excruciating. I know that many of us, before and because of physical distancing and being cooped up, are in the middle of marital, family uproar, broken relationships, broken work and finances, broken lives and dreams, and broken bodies. Some of these are for no fault of your own, and some of them we have brought upon ourselves. They are our own fault. And hear this, we will doubt and fear and grab marshmallows and, and ask as he asks us to wait, and we'll grab anything. And we will blame and rage and deny and try to escape. Which brings us to this last point. We don't just wait without some things or wait with purpose. We wait with power. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power. His power. There's something we may not get when, or get very easily as those who live in a democracy. Ascensions are about power. Jesus isn't retreating to headquarters or some cush retirement. He's ascended to take over control of kingdom operations. When Jesus accomplished this greatest act, the greatest act of love and redemption that ever existed, when he went through the clouds and splashed up on the shores of heaven, not only was he met with celebration, he sat down to reign as king. Jesus has just completed the most important mission of all time, facing every temptation and never giving in to sin, standing up to intense hatred and even his own murder with only truth and love. He could have destroyed his enemies, but he brought his enemies grace in, a very in the very rescue of them. And the father welcomes him and puts him at the highest honor, gives all authority to his son. Ascension means heaven and earth recognize the victorious return of the son, the lamb who was slain, who holds all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when we come to Jesus or come to Jesus again and repent of our rebellion against his beautiful reign, our grabbing of marshmallows, when we escape his just judgment, ultimately by bending our knee to his forgiving love, when we receive his provision of the cleansing of his blood, then what happens is that spirit descends and indwells us and then locks us up into him. And there we are utterly hidden, covered, cared for, empowered, loved, 
in some crazy way, we actually participate in the ascension and at the seating of the right hand. You want to talk about a power that can endure and flourish even amid a temporary, momentary light affliction like COVID? Paul says that in Christ, we are seated at the right hand of the Father with him. What? That's amazing. And so, y'all, if this is true, and this is true, these really are momentary light afflictions full of purpose and power not to just endure, but to flourish in, these, in the midst of these things because we're not waiting for marshmallows. We're not waiting for me to get a proper sabbatical. We're not waiting to get back into this place and worship so that it'll be perfect. It's not going to happen that way. We're waiting for the absolute reign of grace to take over as far as the curse is found. And Jesus is our king and reigns over us in love and power. And by his grace, we participate in his very life even now. Amazing. And that becomes this guarantee, this full truth that we can not only endure in this weight, but we can bear witness to the power and purposes of Jesus as we do. Even if this, win, oh, this witness is of great cost to ourselves. And that, my friends, is power. And that is the good news of the gospel. Amen.